0: You are listening to Girl on Book Action. Now, with more speaking and less reading. This week, we're reviewing Supernatural Noir, edited by Ellen Datlow. Your reviewers are Irene, also known as Doomwench, and Amanda, also known as Wren. So, we're back with another Ellen Datlow edited anthology. I know, I know. We really need to branch out. This is the second Datlow anthology out of three anthology podcasts, But she's just so good at what she does. And after that debacle with the cabinet of curiosities, we needed a palate cleanser.
1: Plus, no more Datlau for at least two more months. As per usual, the title pretty well gives you the idea behind the anthology.
0: Yep, all of the stories in this book explore gritty noir themes with monsters and magic added for good measure. Because it's
1: damn hard to keep our attention if monsters aren't involved. There's a good mix of familiar, enjoyable authors like Elizabeth Bear and Brian Evanson, but also some, le- some that we're less familiar with, like Lucius Shepard.
0: Alright, I'm going to be upfront about something. I know diddly-squat about noir other than it it having detective types and dames, so I'm not going to pontificate about whether or not I feel the stories fit the theme all that much. Amanda will pontificate enough for both of us. I don't feel qualified to tell you how noir this anthology is or isn't, so I'll talk about the effectiveness of individual stories in holding my interest. The first story I want to highlight is Nate Southard's The Blisters on My Heart. Here we have a guy who's done some prison time for breaking and entering, falling in love with a stripper. Everything's going great until this creepy rich guy shows up one night and Shelley, the stripper, has to go with him because it's her job. She comes back, of course, but things have been set in motion and our protagonist has defend, has to defend his lover. And then the supernatural shitstorm happens. Not only did I enjoy the story, but the tone was spot on for the content. I could picture the protagonist as this growly ex-con just trying to do right by his lady. I also liked that we started in Medias Res and then went back to see why they were in a car trying to escape while he's all bleeding everywhere with a stomach wound. But maybe I'm just a sucker for stories with flashbacks. The idea that hearts don't break, but rather blister from rubbing up against the inside of the chest cavity during emotionally stressful situations really worked and was used throughout to show the Protag's feelings without any overly dramatic displays. He was a man more in touch with anger than love, so the subtle references to blisters forming and breaking worked quite well to demonstrate his love for Shelley and how it was both good but also, in the end, painful. I won't tell you about the supernatural aspect, because I don't want to spoil it for you, but it felt original and was actually sort of creepy if you stopped to think about it.
1: I have to say that overall, I wasn't overwhelmed by this, this anthology. I like the editor and a lot of the contributors. Hell, I even like the subject matter. I've currently been working my way through Mike Carey's excellent Felix Castor series. It's about a magician detective who isn't John Constantine. Who says that he is? With very few exceptions, most of the stories in this didn't stand out. Now to get on my thematic clarity soapbox. In her introduction, Datlow mentioned that what she wanted to do in this anthology was to capture the sense of hopelessness and grittiness in noir without having to do just detective stories. Unfortunately, most of the authors wrote the standard privatized story with a creature grafted on or horror stories that had nothing to do with noir. There was a whole lot of misguided attempts to evoke that good old Raymond Chandler ambience that fell flat. I know, I know, having a theme is really just making an excuse to collect short stories, and I'm glad that there is that excuse now that the short story magazines are basically a thing of the past. However, I think a good editor can have both, and this is something that Datlow usually excels at. I thought it was strange that Datlow chose to put the worst of these misfires as her opening story. The Dingus, by Gregory Frost, had a nosy cab driver as a stand-in for the detective, but was cut from the same cloth. We follow him as he's a few steps behind his friend's killer, and he's threatened into minding his own business, and he finds himself in over his head. Oh, and there's a golem. I'm sure the language and word choice were meant to be giving homage to pulp detective stories, but honestly, it was so heavy-handed that he might as well have written The Dame More Red. Our hero wasn't likable despite himself. In fact, he was barely a character at all and I didn't care when he was taking a kick or two of the kidneys. I was really hoping we'd see some new takes on noir in this collection, but most of what we got was cliched, whiskey-shooting, private dick stories with a supernatural element neck-bolted onto them.
0: As for stories I didn't like at all, I have to go with The Getaway by Paul G. Tremblay. While I like the idea that no one escapes the botched robbery that's the topic of the story, and they just haven't caught up to the fact that they're dead, the overall tale left me feeling bored. Nothing here gripped my interest enough to make me say, Hey, this is a good story. It's more of a okay concept, but sort of overdone. Dead people not knowing they're dead is an overused trope, and yet we keep coming back to it. I don't have anything else to say except that I was underwhelmed.
1: Bitch, 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 Right. But one of the great things about anthology collections is that there are bound to be a couple of good stories, even when I think the overall framework falls flat. The Absent Eye by Brian Evanson was one of these. Like some of my other favorite short stories, this one is short. I like my short stories to be Daisy Duke-style short shorts. Also, if I can say it for a sixth time in one breath, short. The Absent Eye is in and out in barely seven pages, despite its brevity we still have all the information we need about this strange world. Our protagonist is blinded in one eye and begins to see something like ghosts, demons, or maybe manifestations that cling to people. He has to learn to cohabitate with his ghost and fool the rest of the world into thinking that he's normal. Evanson employs the first-person style that a lot of Nora does, and the main character is even a sort of disillusioned detective, trying to discover what these things attached to people are. However, he avoids cliches in both language and in the plot, It's a weird story, and dark, and one of the strongest ones in the collection.
0: Well, next I want to talk about The Dreamer of the Day by Nick Mamatas. This story kept coming back to me, and because my memory is fickle, I had a hard time remembering which anthology I had read it in. Something about this piece wormed its way into my brain and stuck there. It's a story about a wife ordering a hit on her husband. Boring, I know, but it's not a regular hit, it's one that is untraceable because that's how the dreamer of the day does business. The idea that someone who dreams during the day is able to make those dreams reality appeals to me, and the fact that he uses this skill to kill people without any hint of remorse really tickled my fancy too. The execution of the story also worked really well. It's like Mamata set up the dominoes and then knocked him down with perfect precision. At the end, everything coalesces and the lady gets her dead husband, but not in the way she thought she would. It was quite skillfully done. I think that the skill and the outcome are what made this story memorable in an anthology that was overall pretty solid. I've gone back and
1: forth about whether or not the Carrion Gods in Their Heaven by Laird Baron really belongs in this collection. It's about Lorna trying to escape from her abusive husband with Miranda, her lover. It was disturbing and sad. Oh, and, and I liked it. Um, it described the sort of hovering fear that is so constant that it becomes mundane, but it's no less scary. That's something that I think a lot of horror doesn't really do, especially when you're talking about supernatural horror. In this, the supernatural element wasn't really the main fear. But while it was good, there was nothing about it that was really noir. Oh sure, there are fleeing abused wives in noir fiction, but it usually has more to it than that. Like, the dame is trying to trick our hero, or the hero dismisses her and she ends up dead. Even with the monster angle, this is just too simple. And I think this comes right back to the problem of the collection's theme. A dark story about werewolves just feels like a creature-based horror, not like anything particularly noiry. Finding or commissioning enough stories that would fit into this kind of self-restricted theme would be damned hard, and there just weren't many in here that managed to fall under the thematic umbrella and not be a ridiculous pastiche.
0: Well, as for runners-up to, you know, the super good stories in the anthology, I have to say that for me it was The Romance by Elizabeth Baer. When I first read it, the story stood out and stuck with me. The pieces preceding it in the anthology were okay stories, to be sure, but none of them lingered. Originally, I intended the romance to be one of my favorites, but when I reread it to work on this review, I still liked it, and the atmosphere was still as haunting as I remembered it, but it didn't grip me as hard anymore. There were too many little flaws when I went back to it and thought about the story carefully. Now, I'm still haunted, and I'm still enthralled with the carousel that is the centerpiece of the tale. I have a very secret thing about carousels since riding on one last year, and that might have influenced my feelings. But atmosphere and setting don't make a good story on their own. And I will say that the description of the murder, which is very technical and talks about the mechanics of guns, was jarring next to the more fairy tale esque tone of the rest of the piece. I liked the descriptions, but they felt out of place. And maybe it took a while to get to the point... But I didn't mind because it meant getting more details about the carousel. Oh, and I guess I should tell you what the story is about, instead of talking vaguely about atmosphere and setting. A guy is having his 50th birthday party at the haunted carousel. January, our point of view character brings pot brownies, meets people, and rides on the carousel. After most of the guests leave, and she stays behind to help clean up, the carousel starts on its own. She loses her balance and she ends up breaking her fall by grabbing onto the foreleg of this one horse. The leg breaks off and she finds a bone inside it. And then she goes on this trippy vision thing to the past that explains that another woman named January was killed at the carousel and then put inside the horse. The ending made me shiver and the more I think about it, the creepier it gets. Overall, though, it's not the strongest bear piece I've read, and while I enjoyed it quite a bit the first time through, the second reading wasn't as powerful.
1: As for my runners-up, I've got two. I naturally liked The Last Triangle because I'm a sucker for stories about tough old ladies doing impossible things because someone has to. I also enjoyed Ditch Witch, which wasn't perfect. Um... It had a fairly simple plot that was presented in an overly complicated way, but it succeeded in getting that grimy, dirty kind of atmosphere that a lot of Noir has, that a lot of these stories tried for and missed.
0: This month in the Caitlin R. Kiernan corner. So,
1: last month we made a pledge not to talk about Caitlin R. Kiernan anymore, but um, we can't keep up. We can't keep that up. Not even for one month.
0: Yep. So here we are talking about the Maltese unicorn.
1: We've decided that it'll be best just to put all of our Caitlin R. stuff in one neat little place. Um, and then we won't talk about it for the rest of the podcast.
0: Or so we hope.
1: Oh, we're going to try.
0: Well, when it comes to our best intentions and Caitlin R. there's no guarantees.
1: So, um, this actually was uh, quite a bit of a departure for Caitlin R. Kiernan from a lot of the uh, the stuff she's been doing
0: lately. Yeah, but for me it was also a return to, you know, good, solid Caitlin R. Kiernan because it was, it had that first-person immediacy that was lacking in the Cabinet of Curiosity story.
1: And, I mean, it had a lot of the themes that she usually talks about, you know, the dysfunctional lesbian relationships and the indescribable horrors and... You know, that sort of thing.
0: The futility of existence. You know. All those happy topics.
1: Uh oh, positivity.
0: Yes, full of positivity.
1: But um, in a lot of ways, it was a departure. Uh, she really embraced a, a real shift in the language she usually uses. This did read a lot like a noir story.
0: Yeah, I think it might be the most successful story in this anthology when it comes to combining the elements of noir and the supernatural. But it
1: didn't do that cliché thing that a lot of the rest of them did. She
0: crafted it
1: around the story. Like she she made it she made it
0: her own and she made it new. Yes, and honestly, like the setting the, In New York, and all the sort of the backstory of the demonic madams and their sort of conflict, and it just really brought you into this world. And she did it with such grace
1: and really quickly, too. Like, uh, she used a lot of shorthand that really worked. I knew exactly what she was going for,
0: yes. And you know, I I just I really love this story. Also, um, this is one of the few uh, stories
1: in this collection that really had a nasty protagonist.
0: It really did. I think this might be one of the few instances of having a villain as a protagonist that actually really worked. Yeah, our main
1: character uh, is quite a bastard.
0: Yep, she's definitely a bastard. And, you know, as far as Kiernan's sort of um, tendency to have unreliable narrators this one you know it's a first person story so by definition she's an unreliable narrator but there wasn't that whole ambiguity about what was real and what was madness but there was a bit of sort of wondering how big a bastard she is
1: yeah but it was a fairly linear story especially for Kiernan um we didn't wonder what was actually happening and what wasn't. You had a pretty good idea of everything one thing happening after the other even with the flashbacks in there.
0: Yeah. But it was still effective and very noir and funny. Yes, it was funny too. Funny in a horrible sort of way. But
1: not a lot of not a lot of humor in this uh collection and I don't normally look to Kiernan for uh for humor.
0: Well, I wouldn't call it f- Funny, funny. I would call it bleak funny,
1: mean funny.
0: Yeah, the good kind of funny. But yeah, this was
1: this was really good. This is one of the best uh, short stories of hers that I've read in, in some time in any of these collections.
0: Yeah, outside of her her personal collections, this is probably one of the strongest we've read recently.
1: But enough, Caitlin R. Karen, and for now,
0: um, we actually for
1: the next couple of months don't have anything that directly has her source material in it. But I'm sure we'll find some way to compare what we're reading to Caitlin R. stories, because of the madness.
0: And the Elder Tours. And the Elder Tours. And now, for an erudite discussion. So, um, I think we
1: had kind of differing opinions on this collection. I thought, you know, well, there are definitely some bright spots, I didn't really care for it on the whole, and you seem to quite enjoy it.
0: Yeah, I liked it pretty well i mean there was a couple of stories that were sort of boring but on the sort of on the whole i really enjoyed it of course some of that might have to do with the fact that it was the first anthology i read after reading cabinet of curiosities so my enjoyment might also be relief that it was in no way as bad as that one
1: Oh well I'm I'm not saying that this was anything as bad as Cabinet of Curiosities. This did have a lot of really strong stories. Um <laughs> unlike Cabinet of Curiosities which was quite terrible. But um I don't know. I just I feel like usually Datlau really um she manages to make all of the short stories feel like they are part of a whole collection, like it's where it's all one thing, whereas I find a lot of short story anthologies just feel like a bunch of things shoved in a pile. Um, and this felt more like that than her usual collections
0: do. I guess that's true, but I guess you can't win them all, and maybe the theme was just too restrictive.
1: Well, it's a pretty specific theme. I mean, normally we'll have something like, these are a bunch of stories about wizards. Um, And this was very, very specific. And I don't think a lot of, I don't think all the authors in the collection really got the idea that it was supposed to capture the the noir feeling and add the supernatural. Um, Most of them felt mostly like they were copying something noir. Or that they just ignored noir entirely and just did a straight-up regular dark fantasy horror story.
0: And threw in some sort of detective-y sort of aspect to make it fit the anthology? Yeah, it didn't really... Uh, not really
1: well crafted.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I can see that, but I also really don't know that much about noir, so... You know, as a total noob to the genre, I might not be as discerning as other people.
1: I really gotta get uh the Hellblazer series in your hand. You will love that. That's some real supernatural noir right there.
0: Well you you, you won't have to try very hard. You know, I'll read almost anything you put in front of me.
1: Except comic books. You've read Sandman, right?
0: I I have read Sandman, and I've I've read Lucifer. And um, 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 Umbrella Academy? That's three, so you like
1: comics. There you go.
0: Yes, but- I'm a comic book fan. <laughs> but, um, one of the ones in here that I don't know that I would say,
1: I don't know, I felt really conflicted about was, uh, Comfortable in Her Skin.
0: Ah, yes. That's by Lee Thomas?
1: Yeah, by Lee Thomas. It was, um, I don't know, it was. It affected me. I definitely felt feelings towards it, but I don't know that I would go so far as to say that I liked it.
0: Yeah, it sort of, it squeaked me. Yeah, yeah, me too.
1: At, uh, so, I mean, I guess it was successful as a horror anyway. Um, the idea behind it was that there was some magic going on that allowed uh, some kind of necromancy to make people's skin lived, live on after they died so it could possess other people. Um and it had a lot to say like at the beginning I was like I was wondering wow this, does this writer really not care for women in its in his portrayal of women but it really just went on to say that uh it hated pretty much everyone.
0: Yeah it was very equal opportunity about its hating. So you know
1: no feminist wrath there just uh very, very bleak view on on people,
0: and also the squick factor. There was a lot of squickage. Ooh,
1: yeah, that last scene is uh, the last scene of this is very, very uncomfortable. And it makes me feel a little. Ugh, yeah,
0: yeah, I I read it twice: once originally, and then once to prepare for this podcast. And the, my feelings about it didn't clarify in the intervening. Time. I still put it down, and I was confused and uncomfortable and kind of squicked.
1: So again, you know, good good horror, just um, very, very uncomfortable making.
0: Yeah, it was well-crafted and well-written. I have no complaints about the language or the structure or anything like that. And I guess not all fiction needs to be pleasant, but this was a really unpleasant experience.
1: Yeah, I I don't think I'd want to read it again.
0: Yeah, I'm just going to put that one down as conflicted in my feelings.
1: But on the other hand, um, the blisters on my heart, uh, we almost had a fight in our hands about who'd get to review this one because it really was very, very good.
0: Yeah, it, it, it was one of the top stories in this anthology, for sure.
1: This one, um, again really managed the um the the feeling of a noir story um especially that uh, whole thing where you know your hard-boiled detective is trying to do the right thing and do the right thing and every time he does what he thinks is the right thing what seems is the right thing things get worse for everyone
0: yes and the right thing turns out to be the totally wrong thing
1: yeah, and the selfish thing. But you know, you'd think saving your girlfriend from um an abusive client would be the right thing to do.
0: Well, apparently it's not.
1: Ambiguous and complicated, and the uh, supernatural element is too good. We can't we can't talk about it cuz we don't want to give it away.
0: Yeah, but it definitely had this element of the few must suffer so the many can live type feeling to it.
1: And that has um Leave sort of a gut feeling of being wrong, like that shouldn't be, you shouldn't trample on a couple of people so that everyone else can live a normal life, but it really had the feeling like that's just what you have to do, so shut up and do it.
0: Yeah, life's tough, so deal with it. So
1: again, that um, uncomfortable ambiguity was was very much in there.
0: Plus cool supernatural stuff.
1: Oh yeah. Very cool. And um, a lot of subtlety, too, uh, whereas a lot of the other stories, not so much.
0: Yeah, there wasn't that whole heavy-handed approach to it. There's some nice nuance to this.
1: But I guess that brings us uh, up to talking about something else that we didn't really care for, speaking of um, lack of subtlety. Um, the. One of the one of the dregs of this collection was In Paris, In the Mouth of Kronos.
0: Oh, yes. The story that I didn't even reread to prepare for the podcast because I couldn't stomach it a second time. It?
1: When we were talking about things seeming out of place, most of the the ones in here that seemed out of place, at least, they were, you know, good. They just didn't feel like they belonged in this
0: collection. Yeah, but this wasn't good, and it didn't belong in this collection.
1: For one, it was in a very modern um, modern setting, which you know would have been fine, I guess, but it managed to be in a modern setting but also seem really dated, like this was a story for you know five, ten years ago, um even though this is a very recent anthology.
0: yep, and I don't know. it just it was boring and long and heavy-handed and obvious, and while there was a cool monster, the cool monster did not do enough to distract from the other flaws of the story.
1: Yeah, this, um, like some of the other stories, like um, like Blisters, wanted to draw on some mythology stuff, which is fine. Um, obviously, you know, the title, it had uh, talked a bit about Kronos, but instead of uh, trusting that the reader would either know what Kronos was or you know, look it up on Wikipedia briefly, it uh, had this long section where the two characters go into a toy shop and find some Greek myth action figures so it can beat you about the head and neck with who Kronos is.
0: Oh yes, that scene. I hate toy shops. I don't know, I
1: just, it was, yeah, it was really long and it took its time getting going. Uh, Not very good.
0: And it was really obvious because you knew that something was up but it was too obvious i mean yeah it's a story it's a it's supposed to be a noir story so obviously there's something going on but it was too obvious like there was no subtlety in the fact that backstabbery was going to happen yeah
1: it felt very much like and and this might have colored my overall feelings to the book is that the first that uh, Datlow started out on a weak foot, uh, doing the Dingus and the Getaway, which was two of the worst ones, and then ending in with um, in the Mouth of Kronos. So while there were some good stuff in the middle, both the the bookends were were quite bad.
0: Well, clearly you don't like jelly donuts.
1: You, I don't like jelly do- donuts. Gross, gross. Followed by gross.
0: Well, no jelly donuts for you then.
1: Good. You can have them. I would rather read comfortable in her skin again than have a jelly donut.
0: I'll go with the jelly donut. I don't want to be that squicked again. Squick, squick there, but you know, we should, we should end this on a positive note.
1: So I always feel a bit silly talking about this, but I, um, I really liked the cover of this book.
0: Me too. It was pretty and sort of subtle and very nice to look at, and also not embarrassing.
1: Not embarrassing. Uh, normally, I'm used to uh, normally I'm used to Al, my husband, making fun of the various books I'm reading because there's a
0: high
1: number of them where it's like a chicken armor with a sword walking through fire, trying to look serious but with her tits hanging out. Um, so this is nice because I could take this out into the world and uh, not be ashamed.
0: Yeah, it's actually almost elegant.
1: It is, and it captures uh, the feeling of the book, where you've got the sort of the the supernatural element and the sort of noir dame element to it, too.
0: Although the cover did make me expect that there was, you know, going to be ravens or crows, and there was a dearth of both ravens and crows.
1: Yes, I noticed a distinct lack of ravens and crows.
0: But still pretty. Very pretty, and
1: um, light.
0: Also bendy. And bendy, yeah. I could
1: shove this in my purse and bring it with me places to read.
0: And there is your ringing Girl on Book Action endorsement for this book. It's not embarrassing and it's bendy so it can go in your purse. Put that on the cover. Yes, Girl on Book Action says it's so. All right, I think we've stolen about enough of your reading time for one month. We'll talk to you again
1: on the last week of December. where we'll be discussing Alias Grace and the Blind Assassin by Margaret Atwood.
0: Also known as the Feminism Podcast. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at girlonbookaction at gmail.com, or you can post comments on our blog, girlonbookaction.blogspot.com.